0: If you feel like you're behind, you're not. If you feel like you'll never get to expert level or like, oh, there's this guy who said all this stuff, and it was like, oh, I felt like it was like way over my head. Like, let's just be real for a second. Chat GPT came onto the market one year ago. So talk to me about someone becoming an expert, an expert in, let's say, prompt engineering or prompt architecture. The person who installed, going back to electricity, the outlet on the wall that your device is plugged into right now, an electrician, took like two to four years to get certified, to put the outlet in. There are no experts in this, there are students. And so if you're curious, like there's plenty of time to catch up.
1: My guest today on Mission Impact is George Weiner. George and I talk about AI and its implications for nonprofit organizations. I appreciated George giving me my own personal AI workshop. I went to a workshop on AI given by Beth Cantor and Allison Fine when they published their book, The Smart Nonprofit in 2022. But when they talked about the profound implications that AI would have for all of our work and all of our work lives, I did not fully appreciate what they were talking about. Fast forward to last summer and one of my sisters mentioned that she downloaded ChatGPT and had started playing with it. And I wasn't really convinced until she showed me and I was quite surprised at the power of the tool. And since then, I've been using it for a variety of tasks. I've also experimented with a couple different AI note takers for meetings. As George and I discuss, none of the output from these tools has been useful without a fair amount of editing, but I do appreciate not having to start a project with a blank page. Yet, I'm still a skeptic about whether these tools are truly time-saving devices. As with many tech tools that have come before, they're often touted as time savers. My experience, however, is that while we may save time on more routine tasks, we just end up replacing those routine tasks with all of those, when I have time, backburner projects. In fact, back in the 1930s, John Maynard Keynes predicted that we would all be working 15 hour work weeks because of all the time-saving devices that were being created. And we all know how that worked out. George and I talk about the technology hype cycle and where we are with AI in that cycle. And he provides pointers for how to craft your AI use policy for your organization and provides a couple of practices, a practice use cases for the technology in grant writing and reporting. As well as content creation. Mission Impact is the podcast for nonprofit leaders who want to build a better world without becoming a martyr to the cause. I'm Carol Hamilton, your podcast host and nonprofit strategy consultant. On this podcast, we explore how to make your organization more effective and innovative. We dig into how to build organizational cultures where your work in the world is aligned with how you work together as staff, board, members, and volunteers. And all of this is for the purpose of creating greater mission impact. Mission Impact is brought to you by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector Consulting brings you whole brain strategy consulting for nonprofits and associations. We help you move your mission forward, engage all voices, and have fun while doing it. We combine left brain strategy and analysis with right brain wisdom about human complexities for a proven whole brain, whole organization process through which every stakeholder thrives. Reach out to us for support and facilitation of strategic planning, mapping your social impact, as well as auditing your services for mission alignment. We especially love working with staffed, nonprofits, and associations with human-centered missions. So welcome, George. Welcome to Mission Impact.
0: Hey, great to be here. Thanks uh, Thanks for having me. We're doing the,
1: the podcast swap. I always start out the podcast with asking everybody, uh, each guest, what drew them to the work that they do? What would you describe as your why or your motivation behind the work that you do? Uh,
0: my, my mom actually uh, worked in public service uh, her whole career. And ultimately, when I did the math, looking at careers, I just didn't get very inspired by the fact that a lot of jobs seem to just make rich people more money. And I decided to stay with nonprofits and the nonprofit sector. It's the only thing that makes sense to spend my time on.
1: Well, we're in agreement there for sure. Um, And at your organization, your your company, Whole Whale, you help nonprofits and social impact organizations with their Digital impact, and you and I are both part of the nonprofitist community. And I've heard you talk a lot about um, AI and nonprofits. So, AI has definitely been on everyone's list for a while in terms of kind of, you know, trends to be looking out for and things to be paying attention to in the future. But I feel like this year it moved from in the future to now. And I'm sure that was actually the case. Like those of us who aren't paying that much attention, it feels like now, I'm sure it's been longer than now. Um, But what would you say are some of the main things that people in the sector really need to understand about AI?
0: I would say one is that regardless of the policy that you put in, if it's no one can use this thing, shut it down, um, head in the sand, Uh, or everyone use it randomly like there are perils at both ends and there's a lot of sort of corollary to early days of social media those of us have been in the business Mm -hmm. a little while remember that like you're not allowed to use social media at work and you're like okay but i got this thing called a phone i'm gonna use it to do that the truth is when a product shows up that is you know so good so useful um you're you're truly fighting gravity. And so there's a certain gravity to the adoption of this where the distance between these AI tools and where they're integrated and the tool you're using right now. You you have a tabs open, you're multitasking. The distance between some AI as a service, which means an AI does a thing, and the tool you are using right now is reducing by the day. And you can be a passive passenger in that trip or as an organization you can start having the conversations bringing in the stakeholders and saying like uh, <laughs> i understand that the tool we're using just rolled this out but let's understand that there is a western european bias behind this particular llm large language model that was just foisted upon our team before you hit auto complete the entire release post page content
1: So one of the things that you've talked about is kind of that um, adoption cycle or, maybe what people are some people may be familiar with of parts of kind of the innovation adoption cycle, but the one that I was interested that you had talked about was kind of the hype cycle, because I feel like for folks who may want to put their head in the sand and and not pay attention to this and and not think they have to deal with it maybe until next year or maybe till, you know, this particular fundraising campaign is done, Where would you say kind of what is that hype cycle with with technology where people are just like, oh, God, here we go again? Um, And and where would you say AI is in terms of that?
0: Yeah, well, credit to Gartner Research for this, Gartner.com. But ultimately, it's a very, you know, just to paint the picture, you know, on our y-axis, the up and down, we've got expectations. And then on the x-axis on the bottom, like, uh, we got time. And frankly, over time, we get really excited about stuff. I can't wait. It's going to solve all the problems. And that's where we get into this, like, peak of inflation and excitement. And, like, that, like that's 2023. That, you know, like, in a nutshell. What I'm starting for to For AI. S- for AI, without a doubt. Um, as we're getting toward now the end of 2023, um, anything that, you know, burns brightly can't burn that long. And so this excitement is now tilting toward... in in this chart, the the trough of disillusionment followed by (laughs) the slope of enlightenment toward the plateau of productivity. Um, Yes, very colorful language. But if you're visualized, we go high to low to then a plateau. What I'm trying to do is help organizations get into that plateau sooner because the upside eh, for your employees with regard to productivity, efficiency, and being able to just do more with less is tremendous if you use these tools the right way. And we're starting to tilt down toward this trough, which means we're gonna get a lot more of these negative press articles coming out, being like somehow at the same time, like this thing is so silly, it can't do any of the basic tasks I ask it. And then also you're gonna see another article that says, it's gonna take every job that it was ever invented and you are all at risk. You know, because papers have to sell money and they do that by tacking to extremes. Um,
1: yeah. Well, I like the um, the analogy to kind of the beginning of social media and all the ways that or or any technology that you can think of uh, from the. I mean, I've gone through many different technology adoptions over the course of my career, and they're always, you know, the beginning is, yes, it's going to solve all the problems, and then it's evil, and then, well, we just use it. I'm wondering, like, to kind of ground this in, um, where are people already seeing it? Where are they using it where they don't realize they're using it?
0: I love this question because it's going to make you realize that we've already been using this, or I should be saying it's being used on us. Mm. The power of these large language models have been a tightly held secret by large corporations that have built these things on our data for their purposes and have helped their cash flows, their teams do things at scale. And now the wall has fallen. And we, uh, the collective we, have access to these tools. And so what does that mean? That means that, you know, roughly 10% of every, you know, Google search has been assisted by these types of large language models that have given you an answer and let them profit from it. It means that every time you look at a Facebook feed or are a part of one of these social networks that are generating the next thing you should watch, there is an AI involved in that. And, you even in our own like autocompletes of any sort of like, oh, thanks, Gmail. I really appreciate you filling in the first name or pulling in this extra, what, how should I finish my sentence? And it's happened so quietly that we're like, oh, yeah. But make no mistake, it's already been around. We're just more aware of it and have more access to it than ever before.
1: So you mentioned large language model. Can you say a little bit more about what that is?
0: this is such a jargon heavy world and i feel like it just puts it like a gap between like oh my that sounds complicated all of this we're talking about is and i'm going to try to do like no jargon whatsoever they took a bunch of text like all of the text from the internet like a trillion words and then they shoved that through an amazing probability machine called a neural net but it's like what's probably related to what and it's incredible it like databases it associates it and then it sort of like shrink wraps it into this little engine that can predict the heck out of whatever you give it and whatever should come next in a way that mimics human comprehension in a way that can substitute now for a lot of our writing and so that you know is my like that's pretty much what we're talking about
1: so if i'm thinking back to i remember there was a big thing around google wanting to digitize like all books oh yeah was that part of this
0: oh it lives in some corpus for sure
1: yeah yeah and i'm just thinking like um you know, I was not necessarily thinking that I've been using it. But then I thought, OK, well, when I first started doing my podcast, I would use Otter AI. Yeah. I should have been tipped off by the fact that it had AI at the end of <laughs> it. That's subtle. Yeah. Um, to, to transcribe the, the interview. And now people have you know you have you'll see on a Zoom screen where somebody's logged in, their AI is their Otter AI is logged in to get a transcript or notes from the from the meeting. You know, Zoom now has their own um, version where they'll give you notes from the meeting. Um, and I'm I'm just trying to think of like yeah that the the auto auto correct or auto complete um, all of these ways that that we've maybe started using something but didn't even realize we were using it and only are like conscious of it until we're okay i'm gonna download chat gpt and i'm gonna put something into it now i'm using ai but actually i've been using it for the last several years i didn't even know it
0: yeah and to like i just want to come back to this like there's so much jargon in this topic and you're like oh i don't understand it i can't use it the amount of humans that can explain how electricity works Is shockingly small. Shockingly small. And we all use electricity. I'm a big fan. I've watched YouTube videos. I'm not confident in how electricity works. Not fully. You'd say something about electrons, something about magnetic, something or another. So I think there's like a little bit of trying to understand it. What's, um, what is important though is like what you just said is an exact like reflection of the distance of AI being reduced between the tools we use. And that's where I think it's important to be intentional in understanding uh, its weaknesses and also how we get more out of it. Um, You know, there's, you know, coming back to electricity, we all have access to it. Some of us do a little more with it than others. Uh, So just because it's on, like running water, and it really is AI as a service, just as we move through cloud as a service, all of our stuff now hosted by Amazon or Google. Now AI as a service is just going to be layered into everything we're doing. And and so again, if you're a leader right now, it's there's a certain inevitability to it if you just sit there because it's it's coming inside of all of our tools.
1: So when when you're working with leaders, what kinds of and you say, you know, have the conversation about what your policy might be what are some of the questions that you're having people just think about in terms of how they might use tools?
0: I actually built a free AI policy like uh, coworker, but it's a AI chatbot that walks you okay. through the various steps of creating an AI policy and it will ask you and then it will generate your full AI policy having asked you all of those questions um, so you know ironically using AI to help you but As it happens, if it's an AI policy, who better to advise you? Um, Right. (laughs) Elements in there that you're like, I think it's important to have um, Is a non-starter for me are the following. If I'm an executive, I'm making sure the entire company knows that everything generated is a first, not final draft. Mm. So a first, not final draft policy. If, If your policy is nothing right now, steal these words, take them as your own, fully take them as your own. Everything you generate with an LLM must be a first, not final draft. The other piece of any tool we design or any process that we have involving or touching any part or percentage of an LLM must have a human in the loop. First, not final, human in the loop. Go play with the tools. Like, those are some very important guard... There are more guardrails to have, but I know if I give too many, you'll lose the thread. So please keep those; they will keep you out of all manner of harm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm just again thinking about how I've been using it. I've now I mean, it, a lot of it has to do with you know generating um, uh, a summary of a podcast interview or you know yeah. social media posts, a uh, LinkedIn posts, you know. So I've actually gone and, and done those kinds of things, but definitely always the first draft, and then I'm you know reading through it, deleting, adding, um, getting a little bit better at, at telling it what to do. but um, but yeah, I definitely appreciate those those two um, those two guardrails. Where are you seeing um, I mean from what I'm hearing, uh, you know, it's going to be in lots and lots of things. But from um, a nonprofit organization point of view, where are the places where you think it's going to show up or be most easily applicable first?
0: I I like the way you're asking that question, because it's not like let's spread peanut butter across everything. It is let's look at the vertical. And I think there's a lot of vertical opportunities. I've been doing a lot of trainings. I've actually been doing I just got off (laughs) of an AI training. So I'm very like (laughs) AI primed. And I start actually with this supermarket training. I like walk through every aisle of the supermarket being like, look at this box of, look at this thing. And you know what happens? Someone on the team's like, oh my gosh, that's the exact use case that I have in mind. So rather than me saying like, oh, use this or this, like I'd encourage you to walk down that supermarket a little bit, talk with your team, and acknowledge the following, that any technological tool or product involves actually the following components, the people, the process, and the product. And like, it's not equal parts. It is people first, which I feel like you in strategic planning, like, I don't need to say it. Then the process and then the smallest percentage is ultimately the tool, the product. And that is where you sort of kind of get flipped on the head. That's the ultimate difference between, you know, this like, you know, techno first thinking and nonprofit Human first thinking, and so that's where I live. Well, it at. reminds
1: me. It reminds me of when, when what? I mean, okay, this will really age me, but um, I've already done it on this podcast, so it's okay. Um, when organizations first needed websites, and they thought it should be in the IT department. And it's like, no, websites are a tool for communicating with other people. They're not about the technology. Maybe when they first existed, people needed higher level technology skills to be able to actually build them back in the 90s. But really, you know, it it took a while for people to realize it's a tool that we're we're wanting to use for a particular thing. Mm. And in this case, you know, let people know what we do say who we are and that is really a you know a communication and marketing and fundraising function not a um not a technology function
0: yeah i mean the realization that it was a medium was right you know a, a full phase shift and one of the things i'm hoping is that as i also sort of watched i was actually uh prior to founding whole whale uh the cto of Do dosomething.org and I did a lot of <laughs> websiteing, <laughs> quite a bit. Um, I also happened to run the IT department at a certain point. Fortunately, we, we separated those functions over time. Um, but the, the thing I have a hope for is that early days of websites, I think a lot of nonprofits viewed them as a brochure online with a donate button. Right. And what I hope is that you don't look at you know, LLMs as, oh, here's a way to like, create a tweet and move on. Like There's a lot that you can unpack uh, inside of there. Um, Not just, oh, cool, I made some tweets. Um, You know, you already brought up doing summarizations. The amount of organizations currently by hand going through massive PDFs from grantees or foundations or you name it and like parsing and combing, like that is a great tool. Like you just mentioned it, summarization. There's a whole ecosystem of an art of crafting those prompts and saving you time that lets you do that higher order level of work of like, hey, now let me get into the nuance of matching our strengths programmatically with the requirements of this grant.
1: Yeah, yeah, what are some other use cases that you're seeing? I know you said go through the supermarket yeah, and supermarket. pick the different things off of the shelf, but I'm, I am I mean, I'm a newbie, so I don't even know what's on the shelf. Brilliant. So I've never look, been in you're... this supermarket before.
0: <laughs> what is a food? <laughs> um, so, Let's just break it up. You know, starting, you already mentioned the, like, um, you know, text-to-text-based generation. Summarization is excellent because you avoid what's known as hallucination. Basically, if you're asking for factual recall from an LLM, like, give me the exact history of nonprofits since the beginning, it's going to lie. One out of five times. I just don't know what time. That's a dangerous use. Summarization, excellent. You've given it the entire corpus of information, and then ask it to distill it, and then you can work with it. So that's sort of uh, summarization tools, like OpenAI is excellent for that. Anthropic.com is excellent for that, for those large amounts of text. Um, There are also services out there like uh, chat with PDF. Be careful with any tool that you use that you don't pay for, because if you don't pay for it, you are the product, it is being trained on your data, as opposed to those other tools, which have policies that state that they won't be using it. Trust or don't trust those policies, that's fine. The next category I would say to play with is... Yeah,
1: because I actually up. wanted to ask you about that, because yeah. I was like, hmm, <laughs> am I just handing them all my information by using this tool and letting it summarize my things?
0: No. In short, when you pay for that API access, they have a public statement that they are not
1: training their dataset on... But if I'm using a free one, I am. You potentially are, yes. Okay, okay. I thought so, but I was like, huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I should probably ask George that. <laughs> That's a good thing to ask. Uh, yeah, knowing their
0: policies. And also, I think it matters to them quite a bit as they work with B2B cases and they try to monetize their tool. That kind of thing is is pretty darn important to them. Right. Um, and even like OpenAI, um, you know, I'll just not date this too much, but early November came out and said they have Copyright Shield now, where they will literally help you defend lawsuits against things that were originally created by um, their tools. So that's like, that's pretty, you know, pretty big nod toward that level of safety. Um, uh, the next bucket though, is like text to image generation. Okay. Text to image generation. And that's where you get models uh, from OpenAI AI, like DALI, Stable Diffusion, Mid Journey. And like, don't get caught in the tool. Just understand that like you write text, it creates an image and you can then use that image for ads for your email for your website and it has the uh creative commons licensing on that there are asterisks to get into but what's interesting is like in your mind that might be like oh that seems like a quaint thing to do like what a cool thing to do um there are currently over 20 million images created by ai per day across those tools that i just rattled off Hmm. in short order there are going to be more images created by ai than humans in the game and i think that falls into the category of bigger is different and i don't know what that means but it does mean that you should be aware and potentially play with uh, text to image and then rising also is text to video and then of course image to image image to video all of those layers exist so again when we're walking down the supermarket one of those things are like oh my gosh i didn't know that was possible someone's light bulb just went off and by the way There's also a whole ecosystem of pulling this into tools like spreadsheets and doing processing through spreadsheets. So if you do a lot of spreadsheet work, GPT for sheets. And then if you are into the advanced category of automation, play with Zapier and AI, and the fact that you can have what are called agents, meaning that that AI can interact with the APIs of other tools you use. Put another way, I have a tool where I can email myself. I I can email an AI and it will automatically create the Asana task with full details based on a long, laborious email thread.
1: Oh, wow. That's one I would like. <laughs> <laughs> one, please. <laughs> How many times, like, when the was thread, that meeting? The thread of death. What am I supposed to do next? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> no, it's it's like an email-based tool that you could um you could set up. We set that up with um with Causewriter AI. We you know build a lot of these custom, you know, pieces when you're like, here's my problem. Like, great. It's not a one-size-fits-all. It's unique to you.
1: Yeah. Um I feel like there's, you know, you you talked about kind of the the it's going to solve all the problems. It's doom and gloom. It's going to they are going to, you know, nobody's going to have any work to do anymore. Um, I feel like another one that's in there is kind of this is going to save you time. And then when it's and I think the the piece that people assume, but I don't see ever happening, is that when you save time, supposedly you're going to work less or things are going to be easier. And I've I've yet to experience that because people just fill in the time with all the projects they had on the back burner. So how, how would you, th- it's, it is a time saving, but it's, to me, it's almost more like a, like it could be more of a time allo- uh, reallocation. What, what are you seeing in terms of that?
0: Yeah. You know, it's the, the age old, like, you know, the cotton gin going to put us out of business. The weaving loom's going to put us out of business. The, you know, it, it ends up creating more work. Uh, I use a lot of these tools and I find myself like, even though I can edit, modify, chop, and push content faster than ever, would I, instead of like getting the time back, I just 10 X the amount of stuff I create <laughs> and you're like, oh, exactly. wait a minute. Exactly. So I'm like, I'm all, I basically just made the treadmill go faster. Um, and that was what, what it was with me. Like I just filled that time with, with other things. Um, the danger though, you kind of point out as a nuance is that it actually ironically takes up more time because you're like oh all of these things are possible and suddenly you end up you know missing the rocks you know the fill a glass with rocks pebbles and sand and if you start with the sand uh, you know i.e playing with weird new ai tools and being like oh i can do it this way and then going down that rabbit hole like there's a lot more rabbit holes um to to waste your time so i, I would say that's the risk of spreading it like peanut butter across a bunch of different things, being like, I can use it over here or use it over here. Um, I would say focus on that one use case. Like pull on one of those threads that I threw out there. And by the way, like I didn't even get into like the data analysis that it can do or frankly, the the coding support. But the folks that are in those fields tend to already be playing with it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like one that I've heard a lot about um, has been in terms of um, grant writing, grant reporting, fundraising, mm-hmm. Um, can you say a little bit more about, am I, well, number one, am I right? If that, that's what I've heard. And two, um, how those folks would actually use the tools for those kinds of things.
0: Yeah, I, I'd say there's, you know, no substitute to playing with these tools for that purpose, but it's ability to understand large chunks of text is awesome. And when you're dealing with a grant and also your proposal, there it's possible to break that up. So, you know, we literally have built tools that will break down your initial whatever project brief and then format into your outputs. Um, Some guardrails on doing that, like, yeah, you could just upload a bunch of content, say, write this for me. What's gonna happen is it will do a bad job. If you try to get it to output too much text in one shot, it gets tripped up you will do far mm-hmm. better by chunking your prompts, meaning breaking up the, the tasks, saying, like, give me the executive summary of my project proposal for this program. Here's some context of the program. Just write that for me. Great, that's done. Next phase. Give me the timeline and priorities and risks and opportunities for this, based on this information. Great, thanks. Next chunk. So chunking and moving, I think using even like OpenAI is uh, spot on. And with the new updates that they have, they have the ability to give it even more of your data in your own ecosystem. So, it, think of it like a sandbox and inside the sandbox that the AI plays in, it only has access to your grant proposal, the mm-hmm. summary of your annual report, the last, you know, 10 project reports that you have program information. And it can draw on that and pull that into what you're writing like and that's doable right now through OpenAI assistance. Um, okay. Or okay. you can pay for tools. So I know one out there is grantable. Um, they, they have a tool that you can use through LLMs that they use modification. We, like I just said, I, I built one the other day uh, for a client um, on, on CauseWriter. So I would encourage you to just try it. Try chunking it. Use OpenAI. Ideally, pay for the account, so you can use GPT-4, which is the most advanced model. See what happens.
1: Any other misconceptions that you um, feel like folks need to be disabused of early on, as as this is coming at us very fast?
0: If you feel like you're behind, you're not. If you feel like you'll never like get to expert level, or like, oh, there's this guy who said all this stuff, and it was like, oh, I felt like it was like way over my head. Like, let's just be real for a second. <laughs> Chat GPT came onto the market one year ago. Wow. So, talk to me about someone becoming an expert, an expert in let's say prompt engineering or prompt architecture. The person who installed going back to electricity, the outlet on the wall that your device is plugged into right now, an electrician, took like two to four years to get certified, to put the outlet in. There are no experts in this, there are students. And so if you're curious, like there's plenty of time to catch up. The rules, yes, are changing, but I think that's a mindset. And a lot of folks that probably listen to your podcast have that growth mindset. So uh, I think it's exciting because there's a lot of upside um, if if you're able to do it. But, you know, again, my concern is that nonprofits are that passive passenger. Again, you know, hey, the website is just a brochure with a donate button. Um, I'd love to just skip over the trough of disillusionment and get right to the plateau of productivity for. <laughs> for I don't know. We, may, we
1: have to. I don't know. I think I think uh, the the roller coaster is always there. <laughs>
0: I <you> know. <laughs> Yeah, I I, do
1: I don't it. know. I don't know what I'm going to be in the trough of disillusionment <laughs> about tomorrow, but I'm sure it's coming. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> so, um, at, as we close up on each episode, I ask uh, each guest to for um, what permission slip would they give nonprofit leaders, or what would they invite them to consider um, for for my podcast to avoid being a martyr to the cause or um and as they work to uh towards building a more um uh healthier and more equitable co- organizational culture, so either a permission slip or an invitation
0: yeah, um lot to unpack, but I'd say the permission slip would probably give leaders the the space to learn and the you know permission to be wrong publicly uh, I think it's six. Uh, an expectation one way or the other that leaders are supposed to know which way to go no matter what and i think one of the most powerful things you can do is you know the following words i don't know um and then also 100 i think a lot of leaders don't have the space to learn i think that's um you know kind of something tough and has to has to be done with time like you, you need that space um so especially right now in a high change environment um those are those are some pieces there
1: well, those—that's wisdom for all sorts of topics, but uh, this one, in—in in as well, and definitely we'll be linking to the um, policy generator that you <laughs> yeah, talked yeah, about, yeah. Uh, so that people can get started there and have those conversations. And I really appreciate all the insight you've brought to this as we learn more and become learners. Um, Well, one of them for me was just you you posted something on LinkedIn about an LLM. And I'm like, what's that? (laughs) So there's a lot of learning to happen. So I appreciate it.
0: Oh, thanks for telling the story.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode. I really appreciate the time you spend with me and my guests. You can find out how to connect with George, his bio, the full transcript of our conversation, as well as any links and resources mentioned during the show in the show notes at missionimpactpodcast.com slash show notes. I'd like to thank Isabel Strauss riggs for her support in editing and production, as well as Sade Carbonell of 100 Ninjas for her production support. If you enjoyed this episode, please share on your favorite social media platform and tag us. We really appreciate you helping us get the word out. And until next time, thank you for everything you do to contribute and make an impact.